It's Monday the 24th of January 2022. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this past week, why it happened and why we should care. My guest this week is the journalist, presenter and editor of the New Look Kastlios programme on Ruv, Ruv TV, I should specify, Baldwin Thor Bergson. Welcome to you. Thank you. Um, perhaps the most newsworthy story of this week is just how unnewsworthy COVID-19 appears to be becoming. Uh, with current restrictions set to last another week and a half, it now seems pretty likely those relaxations will come in before that time and that Landspitali National University Hospital will end its state of emergency. The Energy Agency has been in the news because it has sent an electricity generators a distress call over possible shortages of electricity this spring and also because it appointed N1 to take thousands of new domestic electricity customers believing that they were the cheapest option. But the company charged those customers a lot more than expected and has now apologised. For what that's worth. <laughs> um, Iceland's handballers are in the middle of an emotional roller coaster ride at the men's European handball championships in Hungary and Slovakia. The squad, positively decimated by COVID isolation, nevertheless pulled off a famous trouncing of Olympic champions France this weekend. And next on the list today is Croatia. A new bill put to Althingi would ban so-called gay conversion therapy in Iceland and would include a sentence of up to five years in prison for systematically attempting to change or suppress a child's sexual orientation or their gender identity or expression. And the sentence would be three years when the victim is an adult. The MPs behind the bill say that there are people in Iceland making a living from the controversial practice today. Culture Minister Lilja Alfredsdottir says the Icelandic language is under attack and making good progress at the same time in different areas. We need to make sure access to Icelandic teaching is good and affordable to avoid there being two separate nations cohabiting within the country and that all children should grow up being able to communicate in Icelandic with voice-controlled technology that is becoming more and more part of daily life. And finally, with Bontadagur last Friday, it is now officially the old Icelandic midwinter month of Thorri. Though there will be no major Thorrblot feasts for the second time this year due to those lovely Covid restrictions. Uh, but we're welcome to gorge on putrefied shark, soured ram's testicles, sheep-faced jam and the rest at home. Aren't we lucky? Yeah. <laughs> Where would you like to start? Oof, wow. Um, I don't know. Um, should we start with Thorri? No, we'll save that. Should we save that? Uh, it's more fun, that one. Okay. <laughs> well, fun. It depends on a matter of opinion. Yeah, but I, um, my guess is we could be pretty quick about it. There's not much to say. Okay, Don't eat the sour food. It's horrible. But the... That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's two types of thoramatur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it started out... It's it's like the uh, Scottish kilt or the Scot- Scottish tartan. It was a you know commercial thing back in the seventies. I think it was a restaurant that sort of tried to adopt the you know the the, the old traditional food and and try to make a, a, a some sort of a commercial feast out of it. So that's basically the tradition. Uh, you know, it's it's not much older than that. But I mean, the tradition of feasting at this time of year goes back a long way. Oh yeah, it, it definitely, definitely. But you know, taking taking the old food, uh, you know, the so-called traditional Icelandic food, and and trying to sort of, you know, create a feast of it. That's mm. um, yeah, that's a commercial thing. Yeah, a little bit like KFC in Japan at Christmas time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, maybe we'll move on. As you said, there's not a lot to say on that. But what do you find? Do you like this time of year? Um, it's no. the bleakest time. Yeah, it is. Um, I actually, you know, a couple of years ago, um, I took my family to Tenerife, 
Um, and then I basically said, I'm, I'm not going to spend uh, the last week of January in Iceland ever again. Um, and I've broken that promise, you know, a couple of times since. But, you know, yeah. this is the worst week of the year, I think. <laughs> it's, yeah. It isn't, you know, you, you can sort of feel that, that you know, the it's it's getting brighter slowly, you know, a, a minute a day. Mm. But there's going to be an exponential growth in, in light in Iceland. You know, next week, we, we're really going to sense, you know, how the day is getting longer. But For me, it's when, it, when it's still light at 6 p.m., yeah, then it it feels different. Yeah, that's just the end of February. Yeah, yeah. and you can do Thorablod in Tenerife, I believe. Oh yeah, that's probably the best place to do it. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> they do have a party there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what the restrictions are like. Um, on that on that subject, mm-hmm. um, I, I did mention Thorablod is is different this year for the second year in a row because we have these restrictions in place. What's your bet for this time next week? Well, I mean, the interesting thing is that now we have, I mean, basically for the first time in, I don't know how long, the hospital is saying that they want to actually lift the restrictions. Um, they're saying that they can cope with the situation, you know, that they're not getting as many patients that they had predicted. Um, and for me, that's the sort of the most interesting thing is sort of that change in rhetoric by, you know, the hospitality mm-hmm. officials. Um, and um, so, Mike, I mean, they, they've basically said and the Minister of Health has said that they are going to lift the restrictions. Um, and he said this morning that he would probably introduce some sort of a plan at the end of the week. Um, uh, the current restrictions, they're actually, um, you know, they are, um, I think it's a 2nd of February. Supposed to end. Yeah, yeah. they're supposed mm. to end. Uh, so, I mean, we not, might not get that many extra days with, with uh, no or few restrictions. But my guess is that, you know, this time next week we are seeing not the end of restrictions, but probably life getting as close to normal as possible. <laughs> mm couple of questions sort of raised themselves here. Um, the decision, given the, all the evidence around the world and in Iceland, that Omicron wasn't as severe, and they still went with the hardest restrictions we've had among the hardest, the 10-person assembly limit. Some people, including in the government, have said that was a mistake. Yeah. Um, Benedictson spoke yesterday saying it wasn't a mistake, but that he now supports changes. Um, why can't they just do it immediately tomorrow? They do have a cabinet meeting on Tuesdays, don't they? Yes, they do. And I mean, there's absolutely nothing that sort of prohibits them from doing it. They, you know, in, in theory, they could just lift everything tomorrow. My guess is that they should sort of want to ease into it, create some sort of a long-term plan. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, lifting the restrictions now, that's, you know, that's a simple thing to do. But creating a long-term plan, especially for, you know, the travel industries, uh, schools, etc., to make, you know, try to predict how things are going to sort of... Um, you know, turn out in the next couple of weeks and months. Mm-hmm. So my guess is that's the reason that they are, um, you know, taking a couple of days to, you know, before they actually introduce some sort of a plan you know, to try to get a sense of, you know, how how things are going to be in, in, in the coming months. But we are actually interviewing Bjarni on tonight's program. So he's probably going to say something about, you know, his vision about, uh, about the restrictions and, 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 you know, what his plan is. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sort of impression why Iceland is kind of behind the curve this time around, whereas through most of the pandemic, people around the world have kind of been looking towards Iceland for how well things have been going here. This time, there seems to be a lot more conservatism in, in, in 
dealing with the Omicron variant. I mean, we're seeing countries like Norway, um, Ireland, the Faroe Islands even, releasing restrictions a lot before us. Yeah. Well, uh, we are a couple of weeks behind everyone else. Um, yeah, I mean, the Omicron was here a bit later. Mm. Um, so I, I, my guess is that's the reason that we are behind everyone else when it comes to sort of lifting restrictions. They are... You know, they decided they wanted to have some time to, you know, collect data, um, you know, study the science behind it, uh, try to get a sense of how Omicron was playing out in the countries, you know, around us. So that's probably why they haven't done anything yet and why we are behind everyone else. But, I mean, it, it seems, you know, if you, if you listen to what everyone is saying, um, you know, from the science community, Kaur Stevenson, who is sort of the head of the, um, what's it called in English? Uh, uh, decode? Yeah, Decode Genetics. Genetics. Uh, he's, he basically said, let's, let's lift all restrictions in Iceland. And I mean, he's famously always saying we should be harder and stricter than yeah. the government choose to be. Yeah. But not I mean, this time. Yeah, let's mind. He said that, you know, yesterday or, or this morning, so we don't know what his opinion is going to be tomorrow. <laughs> he tends to sort of, you know, fluctuate in, in, in his opinion. But yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I think that's the reason why, um, yeah, they have sort of decided to to um, take their time and, you know, see how, how the Omicron is playing out. Mm. Was that a smart idea? I don't know. I mean, a lot of people were saying, you know, already when they were introducing those strict restrictions, um, you know, that the science pointed towards that Omicron wouldn't be as serious as, as the Delta variant. Um, and their response was always, well, we are still seeing a lot of, you know, Delta cases as well. We tend to forget that about 10% of cases is the Delta variant, which is a much more severe disease. Um, yeah, so... I don't know. Um, my guess is that, like I say, that, you know, we will see hopefully tomorrow or, or the day after some sort of a plan. Yeah. And you mentioned the travel industry. I mm -hmm. think it's perhaps especially important for them because during the summer and the autumn, a lot of people were coming here because it was a bit sort of freer here. Yeah. And, and, and now it's the opposite. So the tourism industry is probably battling an uphill struggle at the moment. More than ever. Yeah, and it's also because, uh, I, I mean, uh, I, th I think it's actually changed over the last couple of years. But it used to be the case that, you know, travel agencies were booking a year in advance. So now they would be, you know, taking orders for, you know, Christmas and January next year. Um, and most of the summer would be full already. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that has changed. I mean, uh, you know, uh, people all over the world are sort of, you know, they're reacting more to the situation, you know, at any given time. So even though uh, the hotels aren't full in June, you know, the, the people, you know, the, the, they might come after all. I mean, if, if you're seeing um, close to a normal situation in Iceland in June, then in April, May, I'm, May, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, the tourists will come anyway. Mm -hmm. But having some sort of a long-term plan that they could actually call, you know, their um, the agencies abroad and say, this is the plan moving forward. So you can feel pretty safe that we are not going to, you know, be cancelling. Um, your customers are not going to be cancelling. You're not going to, going to have to sort of find another alternative, you know, in June, July. That would be a major plus for, for all the travel companies in Iceland. It would. Um, but we've been there before, and <laughs> yeah. we've had these plans in place, and they've and they've yeah. been cancelled. So. Yeah, yeah, playing it by ear, and I think it's 
it might not be an entirely bad thing that more and more people are planning with shorter, you know, shorter notice. If you've got a week off work three weeks from now, mm -hmm. you don't have to have booked it a year ago. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, um, you can also see that just, you know, you can find now, you can find plane tickets to pretty much everywhere for a reasonable price, even with, on a short notice. So that's a major change from a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, unless you've got anything else to add, maybe we should move on. Yeah, no, not really. Like I say, I mean, I, I think it's just this week is going to be really interesting. Um, and I just encourage people to follow the news and, and, and sort of because things might be changing rapidly over the next couple of days. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so where should we go next? There was the two energy stories. Mm -hmm. um, handball, of course. Uh, well, I can always speak about handball. <laughs> yeah. The trouble with this, I mean, I would like to speak about handball as well. The trouble with this is that we're recording an hour before the match. So yeah. when most people hear this... Mm -hmm. It will. We, we will know a lot more than we do now. <laughs> but it would be great to talk about the two games so far, uh, the two games in the main round so far. Yeah. Because Denmark, it was a loss against the world champions. We kind of expected it, but it was especially we expected it because of what's been going on with this COVID. Yeah. And yet the loss wasn't that bad. And then the French game was completely different. Yeah. It, it, it's funny thing about about France. Um, they are a bit arrogant. <laughs> So, and and I've seen it before because I've been, you know, I, I used to be a sports journalist 20 years ago. So I've been following the French team, you know, for, for a long time now. Um, and they they have these games in major tournaments. They just don't turn up. Mm. And they're a bit arrogant, especially games against teams that they, are, you know, they, they are 100% sure that they are going to beat easily. Mm. Um, and then they, you know, if, if the other team doesn't, just fall down and, and, and let the friends take over. They sometimes just almost give up. And that was the feeling I got, you know, not taking anything from the Icelandic team. They played magnificently. But, um, yeah, it, it sometimes is, it's the character of the French team to just um, stop playing is, is, is not the correct term, but they are, you can just see by the way they react and how they sort of interact on the field. Mm. That they are not the team to sort of, if they sense that they have a chance in the following games to actually achieve what they are trying to achieve, they are not the team to sort of, you know, step on the gas and really turn everything up. Mm. And on that regard, the COVID infections within the Icelandic team were probably helpful because it's not the team itself that they would have been, whatever the word is, sort of overconfident about because yeah. Iceland are good and they're, they're not the worst by any means that are in the tournament at this stage. But with, by then, was it eight or seven players out? I think eight, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. And then to win, to beat any team in that condition yeah. was, uh, was a feat. And to but do I'm, it so convincingly. But I mean, um, you know, a huge respect for everyone, for Guðmundur Guðmundsson, the, the, the head coach. I mean, he has, he has seen everything. Um, and I said before the tournament that I had a sense that something was going on. And this is, you know, it's the same feeling that we had, um, you know, during the, what was it, the European Championship, you know, when we uh, actually reached, reached the semifinals. When was it? 2004, I think. Um, no, not four. Um, I have to look that up. But, I mean, there was a, there was a sense of, um, 
you know, something was happening. Yeah. And you could just feel it in the way they spoke about the game, spoke about the tournament, spoke about each other. Because for the last couple of years, there have been a lot of excuses. And, you know, the team itself, everyone surrounding the team and the journalist, they have been saying, well, there's a lot of potential in the team. We are not quite there yet. But there was nothing like that, um, you know, before this tournament. Everyone was basically saying, you know, with, with some sort of cautious optimism that, you know, this might actually be the tournament that everything would just click. And this is a this is a long term project. I mean, Gwim has been uh, he, he said in 2018. Um, 2002. 2002. Yeah. Uh, he, he said in 2018, um, this is this is at least a three year project. You know, it's going to take three or four years before the team gels together and we are going to receive the results, uh, result of the work that we've been sort of putting in. Mm. So, yeah, he's a prophet. <laughs> yeah. And to see players that are playing for the first time and the second time, respectively, mm. in that game and performing like they've been there for years. Yeah, that says, that says something about the mindset. Because, I mean, they are they are good players, but... Um, if you come into a mindset where everyone just believes in the mission, mm-hmm. um, then you can pretty much take anyone out and put anyone in. You know, if they, um, you know, if they're caught up in the moment, you know, and that and the team really seems to be caught up in the moment, mm-hmm. they, they they never give up. You can see that you, during the preliminary rounds and now the main round, they are just it's an overwhelming sort of you know sense of belief in in what they are doing and trying to achieve. So I don't want to dwell on, on, on forecasting the future for a group of listeners who have probably already, already know the outcome. <laughs> um, but the result, the, out, the feedback from the Denmark game mm-hmm. on Friday evening was disappointment more than anything, that we should have done even better. And it was not, <clears throat> it was not a victory, it was not a loss that was a foregone conclusion. And they took that attitude into the France game. Yeah. And they will take the attitude into the Croatian game today. Um, but Croatia is a team that Iceland's never won in a, never beaten in a major tournament. No. Why? They're not the best in the world. Um, no. Um, is it just a bogey team? Yes. Um, and uh, I don't, you know, maybe some listeners remember Balitz. He was one of the greatest handball players of all time. He was one of, I mean, he was, he was one of those players that just, he destroyed our team every single time. And he was an absolutely horrible player to play against because he would just hang on to the ball as long as he possibly could. Then when, you know, everything seems to be sort of drifting out and nothing was happening, he just took some sort of a weird shot and scored a goal. Mm. So he was, I mean, he was one of the major reasons that that Iceland has never done anything against Croatia in a a major tournament. But now um, this is not the Croatian team that we are used to. This, I mean, Croatia, uh, they have reached, you know, the semi-final or final of major tournaments over and over and over again for the for the last decades. Um, now it's not the same team. Now Croatia is a team team to beat. They are without points in the main round, um, so that they are definitely a team that Iceland can beat. And and the Icelandic team, um, as it has played, um, you know, in in the first five games of the tournament, if you just compare. The first five games of the Icelandic team and the first five games of the Croatian team, um, I, I would say the odds are on our side. And by that token, then presumably also against Montenegro. Yeah, Montenegro is more a lot more of a. It's one of those games that that 
um, you know, if you if you've been following the Icelandic handball team team throughout you know history, um, you get these games where we are supposed to win. Um, and I always find that that's the worst situation for the athletic team to be in. Um, because, you know, we, we, when the team sort of enters a match, you know, with that thought at the back of their head that, you know, this is a game that we are supposed to win, then the nervousness sort of creeps in and they start making silly mistakes. Um, and my hope is that, like I said, with sort of the mindset of the team, that they have um, figured out how they are going to enter a game, you know, such as the one against Montenegro, without that feeling sort of creeping in. Yeah. Well, good luck either way. There's yes. So uh, today Croatia, and then on Wednesday Montenegro, yeah. and then we'll see what we'll see where the land lies after that. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. We might have a you know ecstatic nation at at sixteen uh, p.m. ish on <laughs> Wednesday. Yeah, and. Maybe just maybe they won't have so many uh, assembly limits at the yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Um, okay, we are time's rattling on. Let's carry on with another story. Um, and it, which other one stood out to you? Um, um, the wrong page here. Well, I don't know. I mean, the energy story is is uh, interesting, or the stories. Um, well, energy is always interesting, especially with the constant stories uh, about climate change and the environment and, yeah. and uh, how important energy is. Mm-hmm. First of all, this warning, this this distress call that they've sent out, what, what's that about? Um, are you referring to um, sort of the lack of energy? Yeah, um, that's, I mean, that's interesting. I, I, I'm not a specialist in any way, but there is a fluctuation in the amount of energy or electricity that we can produce. Because when you're actually using water to, to produce electricity, you mm-hmm. have to have a certain amount of water. Um, and during winter months, you can you, you get periods when there just isn't enough water to you know produce all the electricity electricity that you actually want. Um, and now there are some who say we have to you know build more power plants in order to sort of um, get over those periods. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, during most other months of the year, we have extra energy. <laughs> so it's a, it's a little bit of a catch-22. I mean, do you want to, um, you know, build more power plants and, you know, be able to produce all the electricity that you want during the, you know, slower months? Um, or do you want to, you know, save nature? And as it actually turns out, um, in some parts of the country, they have to burn oil, you know, for a couple of weeks to make the electricity that that they that they need for mm. fisheries plant and and, and 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 other stuff. And even potentially district heating, yeah, which is is even more of a big deal. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there are still parts of Iceland that, you know, heating is is mainly you know done with electricity. We tend to forget that with all the hot water that mm. sort of almost automatically comes out of the ground. But I mean that's a that's a huge issue for especially um, the West Fjords and, and and some other parts where they don't have access to the warm water. They have to heat, you know, the, their houses with with electricity. And when you are actually you know in the situation that you have to heat them with oil or coal or something, um, that's an sort of that's an environmental story that I'm not sure that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that people actually realise that that's a situation that we are in in, in Iceland, mm. and it's a very quick way of um, 
a very quick way of destroying any benefits that are coming from, for example, the energy shift. I mean, we're looking at up to 15,000 electric cars on the road. Mm -hmm. How many towns do you have to heat up with oil to destroy that benefit? I'm, Probably yeah, not many. Probably not many, but I'm... Um, you know, electricity is... It's a complicated thing because, um, you know, cars, they don't actually use that much. Um, and then... And the main thing in Iceland when it comes to electricity is the transport. And the transport system, it, it's outdated. And it, it definitely needs, needs to be, um, in, in large parts of the, of, of the system, it needs to be you know, completely redone just to be able to you know, carry electricity you know, all, all, all over the country. Um, and that loses electricity too, that wastes yeah. power, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's the only way. If you, you know, if if you if you don't want to build uh, power plants closer to the communities, you have to, you know, you have to transport the electricity over vast distances. Mm -hmm. So, like I say, it's a it's sort of a catch twenty uh, two thing we we have here. Mm -hmm. What about diversification? Uh, Iceland has traditionally not had any wind power, mm -hmm. and the talk was oh, certainly in decades gone by. The talk was well, we do have plenty of wind here, but we don't need it because we've got all this geothermal and yeah. hydropower. Yeah. That conversation's changing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, wind power is interesting because um, as I understand, and again, I'm no expert, but I've been sort of, I've been following this for, for quite some time. And the main problem in Iceland is that we have too much wind. Um, so, uh, Who'd with, have guessed it? Or <laughs> <laughs> um, should I say too strong wind? Because, you know, if it gets over, I, I, I don't know, you know, how many meters per, per second, um, let's say 40 or something or 30, you know, just to just to have a number to work with. Um, and if it goes over that, the, the windmill stops working. Um, so that's been the main problem. So both they have been sort of trying to build uh, windmills that actually, uh, you know, that, that can handle more wind, um, and then they are trying to find the spots in Iceland um, that have steady wind and, and are not experiencing those sort of, you know, days or weeks or months that, you know, they, they have just simply too much wind. So that, that's that's another issue as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, and, and I mean, are there any, I mean, there's no easy, quick fix solution to this. It's either, you know, it, building a power plant is a big and expensive project. Yeah. Um, um, no, there's no no simple solution. Um, my guess, I mean, one of the things that at least a couple of years ago people were uh, uh, sort of trying to experience um, or experiment with uh, was uh, ocean currents, using ocean currents to create electricity. Mm. Um, and I don't, I, I haven't heard anything about it for quite some time. But you know, imagine that if we could put something. Uh, on the bottom of you know all the fjords in Iceland, uh, that would create electricity using ocean currents. That that would be a huge thing. Yeah, and there are successful um, trials in going on in I think Scotland and, yeah. and elsewhere, Norway too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a really interesting technology. You're right. Um, okay, then the other story, the N1 story, was perhaps. It was a shorter term one, but it was a little bit more scandalous at the time. People mm -hmm. are thinking, oh, how could, why were they doing this? How could they do this? Mm -hmm. Is it as bad as it sounds? <laughs> Is it just profiteering or? Well, um, if, I don't know. Um, it's, a, it, it, it's quite a complicated thing to explain 
because it basically because we have a you know market where you can actually choose uh, your electricity provider um, and all the you know electricity companies they um, they try to sort of get the deal with the government that you know if a person moves houses or you know moves to Iceland for example um, and doesn't actually uh, make a deal and you automatically uh, automatically get a deal with as it stands now and um, one um, and the issue is that or the story is that you know they claimed when they were making the deal uh, they claimed to have the lowest prices but then you know you know people that come into uh, business with them you know through this they, they're not getting the cheapest deal they're get, getting a much more expensive electricity and they just basically said that's because you know we can't make any long-term plans we are buying uh, electricity for those customers at a higher price you know due to you know short-term demand and, and yada, yada 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 so um, you know their claim is that everything is normal uh, all the other companies that are sort of uh, they are competing with them and it's a it, it you know the, the story broke mm. when when one of the companies that are that's competing with with n1 on the market um, they actually, you know, complained about this um, publicly. Um, so uh, it's difficult to say. I mean, uh, I don't think we actually know whether they were doing something wrong until someone else takes over. Then we can see, okay, are they actually giving, you know, cheaper prices or... or mm. um, so maybe the responsibility lies with the energy agency because they contract with the lowest price provider on the market yeah and they didn't check that that was the tariff they were actually getting no they don't seem to be following up and that, that's the that's the sort of complicated thing about this story because you know if the if the energy agency is you know uh, what's the sort of premises of the deal that they are making with 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 n1 we, we and you know it seems to be that the premise is the lowest prices um so yeah th then the question is why didn't they check this up i mean mm. Indeed. Well, I think we're out of time. Okay. That happens sometimes. Um, but there we go. The Week in Iceland will be back with you next Monday, the 31st of January on roof.is forward slash English, Roof English on Facebook through the Roof app and your favourite podcast platform. That just leaves me to thank my guest today, Baldwin Pout Bergson. Thanks for coming. Thank you so much. We finished today's programme with the song Colour Decay by Junius Mayvant. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>